Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC DC, Alistair Overeem versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike, and Shaq is going down this Saturday in the nation's capital. Two heavyweights in the main event, Jarzinho Rosenstrike trying to prove that he's the new breed, the new wave of heavyweights, and uh, the legend Alistair Overeem is trying to tell him, not, not so fast, young man. Yeah, Alistair Overeem is one of the most decorated heavyweights of all time, and then you got this guy Rosenstrike, who just enters the UFC earlier this year on the uh, Sunsam Rice 2 card, and now all of a sudden, if he can get a win here on uh, Saturday, man, he might be one one away from a title a fight with Francis Ngannou I mean who knows where this guy can go in such a short amount of time so I'm very excited for that fight and the co-main event as well Marina Rodriguez and Cynthia Calvillo the winner is expected to get a big fight it's a very exciting fight night obviously been a couple weeks off so shout out to all our fans listening today gotta give another shout out to our sponsor Flav CBD make sure you go to FlavCBD.com for all your CBD and THC needs use that promo code battle to save 10% off and before we get down to business, Shaq, uh, it's been a couple weeks since the last card, but one little standout from that card is, how about the man with the most submissions in UFC history, Charles Dubronx Oliveira? Now he's going out there two back-to-back knockouts in a row. Uh, one of the most decorated finishers in the history of the sport, Shaq. Yeah, Charles Oliveira did happen a couple weeks ago, but man, that guy's, he might be a serious matchup problem moving forward for a lot of these lightweights, because... I remember everyone uh, used to call Charles a quitter a few years back when he would have his occasional quit job. But man, I feel like at 30 years old, he he might have outgrown it a little bit, maybe at least to an extent. So uh, I'm interested to see where Charles goes from here. He definitely has earned himself a big fight. I mean, when you got finished streaks like that, you're finishing K1 strikers and putting Gordon down in less than a minute 30. I, I think you deserve a big fight. So he better get one. I mean, my boy Charles is married with kids now. This ain't, this ain't uh, Charles Dubronx, the young man anymore. This is the grown-ass man, and uh, I love the finished product. I love Charles Dubronx in his prime, man. Yeah, 100%. Charles Oliveira is very underrated in the lightweight division. And what about him versus, uh, you know, one of these guys like Kevin Lee or something, man? Uh, be one hell of a matchup. Yeah. And uh, for Jared Gordon, look, uh, he's posting online about how, should I fight at lightweight? Should I fight at featherweight? Look, man, the weight class doesn't matter. It's about taking the right fights. And whoever told Jared Gordon to go to Brazil to fight Charles Dubronx Oliveira when he had already been knocked out in two of his last three, now it's three of his Against last four. two other Brazilians. Uh, hey, uh, Jared, tell... Either fire your manager or give me a call, buddy. We'll make sure you take the right fight. And uh, one other standout was Randy Brown. You know, we always said once this kid finally puts it together, look out. I mean, has all the physical tools. He's got the skill set. But now the mental is starting to meet the physical. Goes out there, weathers the storm of Worley Alves, taps him out in that second round. Yeah, it looked like Worley was going to run run through him in that first round. But like, you know, many times before, he gassed out completely after that. And Randy took advantage. And Randy's been looking the best he ever has. He recovered nicely from that nico price ko we'll get to nico price later in this card but uh not only randy brown you know i know black just fight didn't wasn't the most exciting but hey he continues uh his career resurgence let's not forget a couple years back this guy was on the verge of getting cut from the ufc now you can catch him in main events on the reg so uh yeah black just completely turned it around i didn't even think it was a split decision i thought he considerably won that fight i don't know what jacare did he didn't rock him he didn't take him down <laughs> but but he humped his leg Shaq, because he hugged him the fight was close Okay. But uh, anyways, Blakovich definitely deserved to win that fight. And now he's got a rematch with Corey. You know, some people say it's a silly fight. Some people don't understand that fight just because Corey dominated him the first time. But Jan's a different guy. Let's see how he uh, how he does the second time. But it's an interesting fight. You know, I was hoping they did Blakovich versus Gustafsson the rematch. But uh, <laughs> they, they did a different.
different one. You know, and speaking of which, two guys that got finished by Corey Anderson and Jan Blakovich are also fighting. Uh, Nikita Krylov versus Johnny Walker just got announced today. And one thing I can guarantee you about that is uh, someone will be snoring on the canvas shack. <laughs> so uh, I'm very excited about the prospects of that. Obviously, uh, Robert Whitaker is either going to be fighting Jared Cannonier or Darren Till. Uh, the I, Uf- know, I know for his sake he wants to fight Till, but <laughs> we heard he's lobbying hard for the Till fight, but the UFC wants the Cannoneer fight, so it'll be interesting to see which direction they head in. And Shaq, let's break down this UFC DC card start to finish, my man, because first up in the middleweight division, we got the vet Trevor Smith. He's 15 and 9, and he's taking on Mahmoud Muradov, who's 23 and 6. Currently, they got Mahmoud Muradov, minus 420. The comeback on Trevor Smith is plus 335. So for all the newer fans that have the battle, y'all got to make sure you go back and watch Trevor Smith versus Ed Herman because it's an unbelievable brawl. That was Trevor Smith's UFC debut. And as a result of that fight being so exciting, he's still in the company today, Shaq. And uh, he's taking on Floyd Mayweather's MMA protege, the first fighter that Floyd has ever managed in MMA, Mahmoud Muradov definitely paid his dues on that local scene. Who do you think gets it done here in the first bout of the evening? Yeah, Trevor Smith, a big boy. He's been around for a very long time. It's kind of weird to see, you know, where he's at right now because a couple, a few weeks back, we were hearing rumors of him going up to 205 to fight Little Nog, going up to 205 to fight Alonzo Minifield. Then, Thank God that got then, canceled. Then I guess he had a change of heart and now he's staying at 185 to fight. I guess uh, he decided to just fight at 85. And look, at 37, 38 years old, as Trevor is, it's going to be really hard to cut that. And, I, and I'm assuming that's why, you know, his chin is such a big liability. Uh, that fight with Ed Herman, he got rocked a bunch of times since then. I mean, he's kind of loses for the most part. It just seems that right when his job's on the line, he uh, gets a very big win. And when you look at who's those are against, those guys are all on the way out. Chris Camozzi, we know Chris Camozzi can't stuff a takedown. Uh, Dan Miller, you know, he was on the, to- the tail end of his UFC career as well. We know the deals when when there's brothers. One's one's the good brother and one's the shitty brother. And uh, Dan is not Jim. But, uh, you know, he's it's not Jim. But, but anyways. Guys, uh, it's the shitty Tamor. But, uh... And then, you know, his fight with Joe Gelati, a young kid that seemed like he didn't really belong in the UFC. He got tapped out in his next fight against Murchard in the first round. So, you know, Trevor Smith is, quote-unquote, barely hanging on. He's out here getting rocked by Elias Theodoro. Uh, his fight was at Cummings. is very, you know, somewhat competitive, somewhat similar to the Theodoro fight. He can make up for a lot uh, for his chin and the size when he gets in the clinch. His dirty boxing is really good, D1 wrestler. But his chin always seems to fail him in fights against Sanchez. Theodoro, uh, Cummings. Cummings. I mean, Trevor Smith has been a uh, Trevor Smith's chin has been a big man. He's supposed to fight Ramazan. Trevor Smith's chin is, uh, has been a big problem for a long time. I don't think he's in good condition. Like with the facts that I said earlier about how I think he was trying to move up to 205 pounds. Now he's going in here against Muradov, who had a very respectable win over Alessio DiCirico in his debut. In those first two rounds, his punch count was very high. His movement was on point. He definitely got rocked in that third round. He does fight with his hands down a little bit, but you got to assume that uh, Alessio DiCirico is in a little bit better condition than Trevor Smith. Trevor Smith, like I said, uh, and even in his fight, with Cummings it seemed like he was doing good a little bit but then guess what happened in the third round one shot on the year Trevor Trevor's on his knees barely uh surviving now he hasn't been knocked out in a while but I think uh, with Muradov's speed and his power, the mixture, and the fact that there, it seems like in the last three three years or so that this guy's been figuring things out after a, sh- a shaky start in his career, 
I think that Murano's going to come out here and probably get a second round TKO. I think Trevor Smith at 37-38, you know, this is, seems to be the spot where he comes in and gets a, a win over one of these bums, but I don't think Muradov is that guy. I think he's uh, too sharp. His punches are too fast, and I think Trevor Smith's going to get knocked out. Look, I got, I got a ton of respect for Trevor Smith. Obviously, like I already mentioned, you got to go back and check out that fight with Ed Herman. Unbelievable fight. But aside from that, you know, Trevor Smith, he's not much of a brawler like that fight would... Uh, would lead you to believe he's actually more of a grinder but man the chin is very suspect i know officially he hasn't been knocked out in you know half a decade but the reality is of course not because he's been fighting goddamn elias theodoro <laughs> who doesn't knock shit out so it makes sense but now uh, i think th i think things are about to change because when you talk about mahmoud muradov you know this isn't some kid with an eight and one record you know trying to get his feet wet in the ufc i mean there's a guy who already had 20 plus fights prior to making it to the big show so he's already seasoned he already has his complete game ready to go and the thing i like about this kid is for middleweight you could say he's smaller and trevor smith you know is what shaq likes to refer to as a gorilla he's a very big physical man he gets on top of you there are chances that you might not get back up until the next round but with mahmoud muradov what i like about him is he's very very fast for the weight class and that's where his size is actually an advantage the fact that he's the smaller guy because his footwork is so on point he's circling the entire time and uh, the kid's got some swag, too. Obviously, I like the punch count like you were talking about. I like the volume. I like that he sets up uh, all his strikes with his jab, which is a very nice jab. And not only that, he's well-rounded, too. The kid can grapple as well. And he's already taken his L's on that regional scene. You know, he's no stranger. He's not. He doesn't think he's invincible or any bullshit. He doesn't have any delusions of grandeur. I think this guy's got his head on his shoulders. I think he's going to come out here and knock out Trevor Smith in the first round, probably with an overhand right. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Verna Janjiroba. She's 14-1, and one, and Mallory Martin is 6-2. and two. Currently, they got Verna Janjiroba minus 265. The comeback on Mallory Martin is plus 225. Well, Shaq, uh, Verna Janjiroba, she was originally supposed to fight Courtney Casey. Then she was supposed to fight Livia Hinata Souza. Now she's taking on Mallory Martin, the contender series vet, on short notice. And interestingly enough... They were both in Invicta at the same time. Verna Janjiroba was the champ. Mallory Martin was just uh, another fighter on the roster. Now they meet inside the UFC's octagon. Who you got? I think Verna Janjiroba had a very good showing against the top, you know, seven, eight ranked Carla Esparza, the former world champion Carla Esparza, the initial champion Carla Esparza. So I think uh, she's got a lot to feel good about going into her second fight, especially against an opponent like this. Now, Courtney Casey is, you know, even though I don't think she's on the Esparza's level, she is still ranked. That would have been, you know, one of those situations where Verna once again has to kind of elevate herself against girls that are ranked, you know, which is kind of somewhat hard to do. Uh, Verna Janderoba, like you said, was the champion in Invicta. And the reason why you, I could tell she was a legit champ down there is because, you know, in, in a lot of these female divisions, you know, they're fighting girls that, you know, or if you look at Mallory Martin, for example, the chick she fought on Contender Series, the Italian girl. I oh, mean, my God. Some of it's kind of laughable and it's a joke. And <laughs> she, those girls, a lot of the girls that Mallory Martin uh, went to decision with are, you know, somewhat harmless. When Verna Janderoba fought girls like that in Invicta, I mean, she arm triangled them right away, rear naked choke right away. So I think her jujitsu is legit. I think that her last fight with Esparza was just a level of, uh, I mean, a, a matter of this is a completely different level of competition. Now I think she's making another step down in competition with Mallory Martin. Mallory Martin's just uh, uh, 
I don't want to say average, but I think she'll be in the UFC for the foreseeable future after this fight. I th definitely think she'll get some wins. She's just decent everywhere, but she's been, like I said, she, the girls that she's, uh, the girls that she's been fighting just aren't on the level of Verna Jandaroba. And you look at that second round against Esparza, Verna Jandaroba willed herself back into that fight, got a, uh, some top control time. And like I said, that was against the number eight girl in the world. I don't think Mallory Martin's on that level. I think she's taking this fight on short notice, probably won't be in the best of shape. And I think Verna's going to just dominate her with her jiu-jitsu. Man, what's so interesting about this fight is that, obviously, like we already mentioned, back when these two ladies were in Invicta, Verna Janjaroba was already the champion, and Mallory Martin was just some up-and-comer with uh, two fights in the company. Now they meet inside the UFC's octagon, second fight of the night. And, man, I just feel like Verna Janjaroba is so far ahead of Mallory Martin in this point of her career that it could be one takedown and the fight will be over shortly after. And, look, I like Mallory Martin a lot. I feel like she's definitely paid her due. She went on contender series. She didn't get the call that night, but she went back to the local scene, got a couple wins. Now she got the UFC call on short notice. But unfortunately for her, this is such a big step up in competition. It's almost like if they both went back to Invicta and it's like, hey, Mallory, you don't got to put up a five-fight win streak. Here's your title shot in your first fight. So I just think it's too big of a step up in competition. But one thing I got to give Mallory a lot of credit for. Now, obviously, we don't really like to talk about, you know, who's dating who and this and that. But when you're around someone like Daron Wynn, you know, she is Daron Wynn's girlfriend. They definitely have that winner's mindset. They definitely have the right mentality around them. So I think she's surrounded by the right people. But the level of jiu-jitsu that Verna Janjiroba brings to the table should be too high level. And I think one takedown, the fight will be over shortly after. I'm going Verna Janjiroba via first round submission. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got handsome Matt Wyman. He's 16-8 and eight, and Joe Selecki is 8-2. and two. Currently, they got Joe Selecki minus 320. The comeback on Matt Wyman is plus 260. Well, Shaq, you and I were in attendance in Greenville, Carolina. When Matt Wyman made his return off a five-year layoff, uh, Luis Pena mopped the floor with him. Now he's coming back. Now it's no longer a five-year layoff. He's taking on the UFC debutant, Joe Selecki, who we're very familiar with. Obviously, uh, got incredible jiu-jitsu. He did turn down a fight with our good friend Robert Hale. He also was knocked out by Nicholas Mata, who our friend Hale did knock out. But that being said, this ain't uh, Hale. This ain't Mata. This is Matt Wyman versus Joe Selecki. Who you got? I got a lot of respect for Wyman. He, he was around in those old school days at uh, 155. Fought Seaver, Spencer Fisher, the whole bit. But if he thinks he's about to take five years off and come back uh, to competing with these young, hungry, not weathered lightweights, I, I think he's mistaken. I don't want to say this is a cash grab for him, but it, that's what kind of seems. I think the guy was completely retired. He comes back. He fights Luis Pena, a very green guy, kind of similar to Selecki's. I mean, Pena might have only had like five or six fights at the time. Uh, Selecki's coming in here with 10. But Selecki's actually been out here not fighting Kins. I mean, he's been out here on the south scene fighting uh, Nicholas. Lismata and and guys with winning records so I think Selecki with his jujitsu skills should come out here and overwhelm Wyman Pena controlled him on the mat it's not like Matt has anything positive to go off from that fight I mean besides that he can take a beating I think Selecki can come out here and do whatever he wants to him I know Wyman has never been submitted in his career but that was the that was the healthy training every single day version of Matt Wyman uh, his last fight against Luis Pena he got completely smashed blood covered i think that if selecki lands a punch i think that he can cut wyman open very easily or with an elbow on the mat get this fight stopped possibly that way as well so i i think selecki is a lock i think he comes out here and dominates matt wyman let's and selecki's jujitsu can't be slept on i mean i, did, I didn't know this till recently but this guy's uh 
Coach John Salter. John Salter that fought in the UFC. I mean, John Salter beat Ron Jukau, uh, Carnero in jiu-jitsu, and Roberto Chavin in jiu-jitsu. So I think that uh, this guy's jiu-jitsu lineage is definitely incredible. So you're saying John Salter owns Atlanta jiu-jitsu. Me too. <laughs> so uh, as far as this kid Joe Selecki is concerned, because, you know, we, we were told certain things about, you know, from some of our friends because he turned on certain fights. But then you actually go back and you watch the footage, and Joe Selecki is very solid, man, especially when it comes to the ground game. And he knows exactly where his strengths lie doesn't have any again similar like we were talking about someone earlier on the car no delusions of grandeur he's not going to go out there trying to stand and bang with you he knows exactly where his strengths are and interestingly enough and pleasantly enough for him matt wyman's going to give him the kind of fight he wants because if you're going to go out there trying to roll for leg locks on a guy like joe selecki hey you're not going to get it he's going to get on top and he's going to dominate you from there so I mean, uh, it's either going to be a three-round domination or a first-round submission. So I'm going to go with the first-round sub. I'm going Joe Selecki here to dominate Matt Wyman and finish him in the first round. Next up in the featherweight division, we got a barn burner shack because we got the undefeated Bryce Mitchell. He's 11-0, taking on Matt Sales, who's 8-2. Currently, they got Matt Sales minus 120. The comeback on Bryce Mitchell is plus 100. Well, before we break down this matchup, did you hear that story about Bryce Mitchell choking a deer unconscious? <laughs> I know he lost the testicle once, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you know these country boys or something else. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's quite interesting, and this fight with Sales is uh, gonna be a war. It absolutely is. Uh, you know what I like about Sales so much is obviously people talk about how good his striking is, but more importantly, the kid's a dog, and that's something that Bryce Mitchell also brings to the table. So, are you expecting someone to come out here and dominate, or you think there's gonna be a fifty-fifty? potential fight of the night war man i like both these guys i like sales last fight against kyle nelson it was in nelson's hometown in canada and you know he absolutely wailed on him in that first round got a little bit tired in the second almost got choked out and i mean a lot of guys would have tapped to that man it was fully locked in but he held his uh composure came back in the third round to end up getting an arm triangle over kyle nelson and bryce mitchell's coming off that 50g performance against bobby moffitt a great fight the reason why i like this fight is because i'm a big fan of, uh, of sales striking style i think he's a, a legit striker for the featherweight division this guy's been religiously training his boxing and you know one of those legit real deal boxing gyms and and you can see you know he's very young in his career but you could see that down the line man this guy once he starts getting more comfortable in there he could be a, a deadly guy at featherweight with his power and he's and he's kind of undersized for the for the weight class but he makes up for it in punching power so i'm very high on sales and bryce mitchell i've been high on him since tough i love his the mixture of his length and his tenacity the guy likes to come out very hard in the first round and just overwhelm dudes with the with his work rate and he gets dudes backing up and you know what happens when you back back up against you know these 5 10 5 11 taller guys especially sales is like maybe 5 6 5 7 so you know sales can't back up against a guy like bryce mitchell because bryce mitchell will run with that and you know he might start out working him uh, working him on way to a decision victory Matt Sales has to move forward and has to make him box make him box box because I don't think he can do th do that against a guy like Matt Sales I, I could see this fight going either way I get why a lot of people bet Sales I mean if you got that good dog money that plus 130 120 that it was early I think it's a very good bet and I think that's the side to be on but I wouldn't be shocked if Bryce got him man Bryce is very tenacious he's a young kid you know he's gonna get better the thing with Bryce is he's not fighting a wrestler this time Bryce usually struggles with uh, giving up the takedowns it seems like he might have a tendency to gas out in those uh in that third round he gassed out against Moffitt and uh Tyler Diamond in that, in that third round, so I guess that would be his weakness, but Sales isn't really the guy that's going to look out here to go and uh, grapple him, so 
I think it's a 50-50 fight probably for the most part. I would slightly lean sales just because I think he's the better striker and I think he's the most professional guy that Mitchell has fought up until now. So I'll pick him for the win, but I, I do think it could go the other way. I wouldn't be shocked. Man, it's going to be one hell of a fight. Definitely one that everyone needs to tune in for because who knows what the hell is going to happen when these two uh, animals lock horns because, man, Bryce Mitchell, obviously the country boy. You know about that left hand he brings to the table. You know he's got size for the weight class. But the most impressive thing about him for me is his scrambling ability because he's one of these guys that he doesn't really care if you take him down because right away he's initiating that scramble, whether it's uh, hitting the switch, whatever he wants to do. The guy is out here trying to force the scramble, trying to get back up to his feet. And if you start to gas out on a guy like Bryce Mitchell, he will tee off on you. So that's where Matt Sales needs to be careful. And Matt Sales, the striking, it's very, very nice to watch. It's very pretty. I mean, his head movement, I really like that as well. And he's got slick, subtle movements that he brings to the table. Very influenced by Dominic Cruz. The footwork is on point. But I think that Matt Sales is a very well-rounded guy as well. You know, people only talk about his striking. But what about that last fight he went out there, won via arm triangle choke? So I think that if for some reason he's getting tagged up by the longer man, which I don't see happening because I do think Matt Sales has a big striking edge in this matchup. I just think he's cleaner. I think he's more technical. I think he's more, I think he's crisper. But if for some reason the longer man starts hitting him up with that left hand, you know Bryce Mitchell doesn't like the stuff takedowns. And I think that Matt Sales can switch it up and can uh, throw that ace out of his back pocket and let people know that he's got a ground game as well. So I do think at this point in time, Matt Sales is more advanced than Bryce Mitchell. So for that reason, I'm going to take him to edge this fight. Now, next up, also in the featherweight division, we got Billy Quarantillo. He's 12-2, and two, and Jacob Kilburn is 8-2. and two. Currently, they got Billy Quarantillo, minus 320. The comeback on Jacob Kilburn is plus 260. Now, Shaq, this is quite a wide line for a guy in Billy Q who he's known for being a comeback kid. And if you know about comeback kids, that means they get their ass beat that first round. And you start to gas out on them, then they take over. Well, let me ask you something. What if Jacob Kilburn doesn't gas out? Yeah, Jacob Kilburn's coming off a vicious KO win on the local scene. I'm glad to see him get a, a second chance in the UFC. He fought Bobby Moffitt on Contender Series at, at 145. Uh, and uh, is he coming back to 145s? Uh, it's probably 145s. Yeah, so, hey, uh, he was fighting at 55s uh, on the local scene. So I'm under the assumption that he's better at 55s than he is at 145s. 145s probably takes uh, a lot out of him, so... You're talking about yeah, Jacob? Yeah, Kilburn. Yeah, he was also fighting Giovanni's Ross. Yeah, true. Yeah, I think that Billy Quarantillo, honestly, like you said, he's a comeback type of fighter. I'm not too high on him. I like the, I just like that he fights with a lot of heart, a lot of spirit, that I don't know if Jacob Kilburn uh, gets put in a, in a war like that, that if he'll be able to dig down deep. I think Kilburn's more of a guy that everything needs to you know, be uh, going his way. And Kilburn's known for his knockout power. I know he doesn't look like it, but the guy definitely uh, can hit. He's definitely got some power in Gortillo definitely takes his fair share of licks every fight. I mean, he's been KO'd before against uh, Michelle Canonas, the jobber that lost to Sage Northcutt and uh, Jared Gordon. So um, I think the line is a little bit wide, but I think Quarantillo is probably going to be the better uh, conditioned athlete for this fight. And I think he's probably going to scrape out a win here. I do think it's going to play out closer than the line just because Quarantillo is really loose and 
he gets hit a lot, but it seems like around the the mid stages of the second round that he starts that he starts to up his volume and really turn up the pace and starts to break guys, starts to use his length. A very long guy. It just seems like he's a little bit of a slow starter. I think Kilburn uh, does have a, a legit puncher's chance, but I think Quarantillo is probably going to put it on him late as Kilburn gasses as the fight advances and probably gets a late TKO one. Man, there's another interesting one because both these guys should still be on the regional scene, in my opinion. I feel like they haven't fought the right guys to make it to the UFC yet. I mean, Jacob Kilburn, he beat Giovanni's Ross. You know, a lot of my guys, like Nathan Williams, Robert Hale, they're, they're, they were begging to take fights with Jacob Kilburn. Jacob Kilburn turned them down. Of course, he took the Giovanni's, Rice, uh, Giovanni's Ross fight, which smart idea. But when you're beating guys with four and three records and then you make it to the UFC, uh, I think there's going to be a big reality call, a big reality check here, man. I think it's going to be a wake-up call and a half. But the, the thing is, he's fighting Billy Q, who also is very undeveloped, very unseasoned, kind of needs to pay his dues a little bit more. So, man, if Jacob Kilburn doesn't finish him in the first round, Billy Q is going to come back and is going to teach him a lesson, which is what Billy Q is known for, man. He's the comeback kid. But... There's only so many of those ass whoopings you can come back from, Shaq. And I actually think this kid, Jacob Kilburn, does have a lot of knockout power. Despite uh, the fights that he handpicked on the regional scene, you can't take away from the fact that this kid has a serious left hook. And if he touches you on the chin, you will go down. I've seen Billy Q go down more than once. And uh, I think he's going to go down again. I'm picking uh, Jacob Kilburn for the upset via first-round knockout. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Tiago Alves. He's 23-14. and 14. And Tim Means is 28 and 11. Currently, they got Tim Means minus 265. The comeback on Tiago Alves is plus 225. Well, Shaq, uh, two uh, somewhat legends of the sport. You know, two guys that have been around a long-ass time. Now they finally meet in the welterweight division. You got the leg kicks of Alves versus the crisp boxing of Tim Means. Who do you think gets it done? You know, Spencer Fisher beat both these guys. but uh, <laughs> Inside the distance, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Submitted both of them. Uh, I think this is a great fight. Tim Means is coming off that vicious KO loss to Nico Price. And, you know, I, over the months, I think we've come to find out that Nico Price might be... Uh, go ahead and dab him as the, the what-the-fuck KO guy. I mean, the guy just KOs dudes in the most... Uh, interesting spots right i mean right before that it looked like tim was gonna knock him out uh he was barely holding on and this is one of those cases where yeah i know that tim means is washed up and he's lined over minus two but i think it's for a reason i think that there's different levels of washed up and tim can still come out here and you know run over guys like ricky rainey and really quick or even just show good skills against guys like up and coming top 20 25 guys like nico price that knocked randy brown unconscious that do things on the regular you know have good fights with jeff neal i think it's a different level you know uh alvez on the other hand's out here having these snooze fest type performances against kumchenko he, he made people think kumchenko was a prospect you know he uh the curtis melender uh you know people thought curtis was a prospect after that <laughs> curtis went out there and just had his way with him i mean completely mopped the floor with him uh, i think tiago's been on his way out for a long long time this is the last fight on his contract i hear he's interested in what's out there i think he's got one foot out the door i think it's lined like this for a reason i think tim means his hands are way too fast i think he's just just still has more left in the tank still wants to 
uh, come out here and prove something to a point. And I think he's going to come back out here and give one of those classic, uh, you know, Tim Dirty Bird, you know, first round finishes. So I got Tim Means by knockout with the left hand. But if it goes the full three, it's what Tiago Alves is all of a sudden a <laughs> cardio machine or something. Tiago's a complete shell of himself. Not saying that Tim Means isn't, but Tim Means, some of his losses, I mean, I mean, I kind of had a feeling that Nico was, I said, don't people, I said, don't bet against Nico like this. Uh, but hey, you know, I got Tim Means by first round knockout. I think that Tiago Alves has one foot out the door from the interview that I heard earlier today. And I think Tim gets the win. Look, both guys have been fighting for well over a decade. Two guys we respect a lot, always entertaining fighters. With Tiago Alves, you know, every uh, couple years he puts on that Muay Thai clinic. The issue here is we know Tiago Alves is known for his leg kicks. Well, he's an orthodox fighter. It's kind of hard to leg kick against a southpaw unless you're Justin Gaethje. And I do not believe that Tiago Alves has the speed or the aggression of a Justin Gaethje. Therefore, I think it's going to be really hard to get off on those leg kicks. And I think that if he does try to hit that inside kick, try to go to the body, Tim Means is going to be ready to counter with that straight left down the pipe. And when I tell you that, even though Tim Means might be slowing down, even though he got knocked out his last fight, even though it might not be the the dirty bird that we're all, you know, what we all know and love, he still has enough left in the tank to go out here, still crisp enough to go out here and not just potentially finish a guy like Tiago Alves, but for sure beat him. I think the strike count's going to be too high. I think he's too fast, too crisp, and I think he goes out here and lights up Tiago Alves. So I'm going Tim Means to get the win. Now next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Rob Font. He's 16-4, and four, and Ricky Simone is 15-2. and two. Currently, they got Rob Font minus 140. The comeback on Ricky Simone is plus 120. Well, Shaq, uh, two guys kind of on the outskirts of the top 15 in the Bantamweight division. Uh, Rob Font, known for uh, that volume boxing. And Ricky Simone, he's got some good wins on his resume, but uh, he cost a lot of people a lot of money his last fight. Uh, do you think not only that we can regain our trust in him, but do you think he's regained his confidence in himself after such a devastating result last time out? Yeah, I'm sure he's going to be a little hesitant coming off that Faber loss. I think people just put too much too much faith in him in that spot, you know. I think that he was still, even with his wins over Montel, who was coming off the couch, or his win against Hani Aya, who... Or Marab. Know, or Marab, which is questionable as well. Or the Hani fight. You know, Hani uh, is a jujitsu guy. You know, I feel like people just, they got to get over it. They put they put too much faith in him. I mean, I bet on two, but like, not, not, not my whole account. But uh, I think that uh, people just put too much faith in him and where he was at in the stage. Now I get it. Faber was coming out of retirement, this and that. But Jimmy Rivera and those guys, when Faber fought them, uh, TJ, not TJ, but Cruz, you know, those guys are on a different level than Ricky Simone. I'm still, I still think Simone has a bright future. I think that he just got caught up in that crowd. The The moment was a little bit too much. First time on the main card, you know, on the, on a big card. I mean, that crowd got to him and I think he made a bad mistake, kind of similar to Andrade and Wiley Zhang in a sense, you know, he just kind of got caught up in the moment. And now he's fighting Fon, who Fon, I, I think Fon's a solid fighter. Well, very well-rounded, can use his wrestling, uh, like you said, the volume boxing, got good powers, got wins over Di Silva and Drage, beat Sergio Perez soundly in his last fight, even though Sergio's a, a flyweight, and I don't put that much stock into that win, he did go out there and do what he was supposed to do, it just seems like when Font takes a step up in competition, he gets completely, like, wiped out, like, <laughs> you know, that seems to be his big issue, like, he gets a couple wins together, he beats Tomas Almeida, he, he uh, beats Di Silva, and then he 
gets a, a fight against a Sunsau where everyone bets on him, and then he gets completely dominated. He gets finished by Pedro Munoz. Uh, the John Lineker fight completely dominated, and it seems like he might struggle with shorter, stockier guys that pressure him. I mean, it just seems like uh, he can't necessarily get off. And and I think that Rob Font at this point is we kind of seen where his potential is. I don't ever see him, you know, ever creeping back up into that top ten range. I think he's going to be a guy that hovers outside uh, on the uh, bottom end of the rankings. Um, and I think he's very predictable. So I think this is a, is is very close to a 50-50 fight. Obviously, Font being better on the feet. Ricky being the better wrestler, Ricky's when Ricky's at his best, man, he's really gritty, he's really grimy, he finds ways to win, uh, he's very undersized in comparison to Font, so I, I slightly do lean Font, but I don't trust Font, especially at lines like that, I know uh, Ricky's coming off a knockout, a loss, his confidence might be a little bit shot, but I don't see a big gap in between these two, I think Ricky does have a, a have a way to win this fight, and that's hold and cling on to Rob Font, because I think Ricky's wrestling is that strong. And not saying that Font's got a a, uh, a takedown defense issue, because he doesn't, but I think Ricky's wrestling is that good. His scrambling ability is that good. And if his head's in the right place, I do think he's got the skills to come out here and win this fight. But when you look at Ricky, he got dropped against Marab Divishvili. He got... Uh, he got wobbled by Hani Yaya, and he got knocked out against Uriah Faber. So Don't forget my boy Anderson Dos Santos. Anderson Silva, Anderson Dos Santos also dropped him back in the day and end up, ended up submitting him. So the chin has always been a, a, a bit of an issue with Ricky Simon. Hopefully he comes out here and, and, uh, and avoids that big right hand of Rob Font. I still don't trust Rob Font enough to come out here and say that he's going to put Ricky in the ground. I, I think that his punching power is a little bit overrated. I think he's more of a uh, volume boxer, like you said earlier before, but I slightly lean him, and that's by a small margin, just because he's not coming off a of vicious KO loss. Yeah, I feel you, man. And after uh, what happened with that last Ricky Simone fight, his name's not Ricky Simone anymore. Now it's Ricky Simon, you know what I mean? we got to call him that now. But uh, it's interesting, man, because... When the fight got announced, oh, Rob Font, first-round knockout, but then you, you watch the tape a little bit, and it might actually be a closer fight than we think. It could go to a decision. If that's the case, it might be a split. But the difference here between the two of them is that I think the volume of Font on the feet is what's going to dictate the fight. However, the wrestling of Ricky Simon could could be a factor because he's one of those guys that could get lit up for two minutes of a round, but then he goes out there, blast doubles you, stays on top the rest of the round. The judges forgot that he was getting his head popped back for two minutes and 30 seconds so rob font's get up games his takedown defense the sprawls everything needs to be on point the wall walking so if rob font has covered his tracks man i think he's he's uh he's got the right uh tools to win this fight and it has been a while since we've seen him last he hasn't fought since i believe november december of last year so that's a long time for him to go out there and not just be stuck in training camp trying to get in shape for a fight but actually have the time to develop his skills even you know, add new tools to the arsenal. So I think that if we see an improved Rob Font, that there is the knockout potential. However, if this does go to decision, we might be looking at a dog or pass situation as much as I hate to admit it because uh, we know what happened last time with Ricky Simone, but I'm going to go with Rob Font via first round knockout. Now, also in the Bantamweight division, we got Cody Stamen. He's 18 and 2, and Song Yadong is 15 and 4. Currently, they got Song Yudong minus 200. The comeback on Cody Stamen is plus 170. Well, Shaq, you got uh, the number one Chinese prospect, Song Yudong, the knockout artist, 
taking on the very solid vet. And I say vet, the kid's 18 and two, the very solid Cody Stamen. And man, this is a big step up, honestly, for Song Yadong, but in a way for Cody Stamen too. Look, I know Cody Stamen's fought the higher level of competition, no doubt about it. He's more battle-tested inside the UFC's octagon. But this kid, Song Yadong, uh, even though the competition has been a little bit on the you know, on the easier side, I say easier side, I mean, you just knocked out Alejandro Perez in the first round. That guy's never an easy fight until he fought Song Yadong. But this kid brings something serious to the table, man. The speed, the accuracy, the precision, and obviously the power of his hands is something you have to respect. And here against the guy in Cody Stamen, we're going to find out firsthand if he really is that future top 10 guy that people are saying he is right now. So what I like about this kid Stamen is how smart he is. He comes in there with the right game plan and he doesn't really take too many unnecessary risks. You know, he knows exactly what he needs to do and when he needs to do it. And technically speaking, he's great. Now, the only issue I have with Cody Stamen's game and where I think it could be an issue here against Song Yadong is not his strike defense. Like the guy is extremely elusive. He's got his hands up, all that but he doesn't move his head off that center line shack. And one of those laser beams from Song Yudong comes uh, right up the middle and it could be lights out. It could be good night. It could be a canvas nap time. So Cody Stamen's got to be on his bike this whole time. I think he's got to be very elusive with his striking. I think he's got to mix in the entries to the takedowns and try to make this a mixed martial arts fight. Don't go in there and stand and bang with a guy like Song Yudong because uh, that could be a recipe for disaster. And I do think that when you get a plus 170 line on a guy like Cody Stamen, he is good enough to where you do need to take a look. Maybe this is first UFC L time for Song Yudong. However, I will go with the hype machine. I do think this kid is the real deal. I know the competition has been lesser, but what I see skill set wise and physique wise, just the physical attributes, he seems like the real deal to me, man. And that speed is for real. So... I actually am going to take Song Yudong to not just win this fight, Shaq, but to actually be the first man to go out there and knock out Cody Stamen. Simply because Cody Stamen doesn't move his head off the center line. If he did, I'd really be considering that underdog shot, but he doesn't. So I'm going Song Yudong to knock out the very talented Cody Stamen. Yeah, I mean, you make some good points. Song Yudong, he's one of these guys where it seems like the physical tools... Uh are a lot, man. His speed and his power are fantastic. I mean, he's ran through everyone that he's fought, so I really ain't got nothing much to say about Song Yudong. The competition level, hey, he treated all those guys accordingly. He knocked out Alejandro Perez, uh, but let's not forget that Cody Stamen was actually the guy to to put a halt to uh, Alejandro Perez's seven or eight fight winning streak. You know, Cody Stamen kind of uh, kind of was the guy to you know show some of those holes. Uh, Cody Stamen hit. Uh, Perez with some of those same shots, big left hooks, big overhands, rocked them. It's just, uh, like you said, Cody Stamen is more of an undersized bantamweight. He's only 5'3", 5'4". You know, that 5'6 stuff is completely bullshit, <laughs> yeah, he's right? like 5'4". <laughs> yeah, he's very, he's very, one of us, he's a smaller bantamweight. Um, but, man, I, I Cody Stamen, he's got, it's nothing new for him, man. It's another tough fight. I mean, another tough fight's on the horizons. I mean, this guy, I said before his debut against Tarion Ware that this is a future top 15 guy, and hey, he's made it all the way to the top 10. So I think Cody Stamen's one of the most underrated guys at Bantamweights for, uh, when I look at his skill set. Uh, he's got that good mixture of, you know, the traditional boxing with the, the Crookshank style kicks with the, the blast double. So I think that Cody Stamen's super underrated, been in very many tough spots. So I don't think this is going to be uh, anything new for him. 
I just think Song Yadong might be, he might be that special athlete. He might be that special presence. I mean, the guy's an ox. He's big. But I'm interested to see what happens when, when Cody hits Song, you know. I, I just don't have enough, uh, you know, I could sit here and say physical tools this, physical tools that. that as I, And I've learned in the past that, man, physical tools uh, can over, over, uh, over Trump, you know, real actual work. Like, for example, Johnny Walker and Corey Anderson, you know, you see Johnny Walker jumping, flying all across the place. But Six, when he fights just the, the guy that doesn't get enough credit, and I feel like Cody Stamen doesn't get enough, uh, enough credit sometimes just because, you know, people label him as a guy that ekes out decisions. And I think that's just a, a casual uh, type statement. I mean, the guys in tough fights, I mean, I remember the Dukanwa, and Dukanwa, I don't hype him up as much as I do Song, but at the time, I, I was just confused by the hype on this guy, this guy Dukanwa, oh, he's this and this, he's that, but Cody Stamen went out there and, you know, handed him his first L, so Cody Stamen's been in these spots before, I'm a pick Song, I, I, my gut feeling just tells me that he's, uh, he is, you know, legit, I, I, like I said, I got nothing bad to say about the guy, but I do think that his age is probably not right, you know, I don't think he's, you, know, you don't think he's not <laughs> I don't think he's really that age. I think he's a lot older. Uh, what are we talking, 26? Yeah, 27, 26, 7, 7 8, 26 or 28. I don't think he's, I think he's the same age as Stamen, probably. Uh, so, you know, I think that... Uh, you know, he's been 19 the last five yeah, years. Yeah, the, guy, the guy's age is one of a big mystery, man. Uh, but he's been fighting Russians on his local scene. Song had a, a lengthy career before he got here, so I think he's tested by, you know, in terms of the betting. I don't want to say his dog or pass either, because if you believe Song Yadong is that guy, man, I think that it, it could be a bargain of a line if you think he's going to come out here and get that first-round knockout. Um, but I, me, personally, I, I doubt it. I just think Cody Stamen's too good. I think he's going to make extend this fight, and we're going to get to see the real full skill set of Song Yadong, at least. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Aspen Ladd. She's 8-1, and one, and Yana Kunitskaya is 12-4. and four. Currently, they got Aspen Ladd minus 155. The comeback on Yana Kunitskaya is plus 135. Well, Shaq, an exciting fight in the women's Bantamweight division. Obviously, Aspen Ladd known for that ground and pound. Yana Kunitskaya more on the well-rounded side. Who are you leaning with? Yeah, it's another uh, evenly matched fight, uh, a female, uh, a 135 female fight where, you know, sometimes these type of fights can be very close. I, when I say close, I mean 1-1 going into the third round. Uh, Aspen Ladd's coming off that 16-second knockout loss to GDR. No shame in that. I actually bet on GDR in that fight. I, I didn't see how Aspen came out of that fight, you know, uh, a winner at but hey, there's no shame in losing. Especially at the commission here. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, it seems like Aspen's weight is on point for this fight. Um, the California State Athletic Commission's been checking on her every week. You know, she's at that stage now where they have to monitor her weight every single week, and she has to weigh in under a certain number. Uh, kind of like what they're trying to put the rock star on. Uh, what you know? They're trying to do to one of our boys. <laughs> you know, uh, they're trying to monitor her weight, so. I think this is going to be the lightest that she's ever come in the fight week. I mean, she has to or she can't fight. She has to. And so I think that we're there's a chance we see uh, the best version of Aspen Ladd. Now, personally, I wasn't that high. Like, I think that she's young. She's only 24, maybe 23, 24. So she's got tons of room to grow as where Kunitskaya, I think, is 
as close to a finished product as you can get, man. She's been fighting to a, for a long, a way longer time than Aspen. I think Kunitskaya's weakness is the boxing we saw in her last fight against Marion Renault. We saw her face covered in blood, uh, nose broken, had to get a face surgery. Marion Renault's uh, Aspen Ladd's teammate, actually, so I'm sure Marion Renault gave her some pointers. I think Aspen Ladd gets hit a lot in the boxing exchanges, but she does have that forward, forward pressure type style and eventually gets these girls onto the mat where her grappling shines, but I don't when I say I, I, I definitely think she's got the higher ceiling, but let's not forget that that was against Lena Landsberg. And I know she finished Lena Landsberg, but Kunitskaya also has a win over Landsberg, a 30-27 victory. And uh, Antonia Evinger, uh, who, you know, I know was beating a lot of girls in Invicta, but when she got to the UFC, that completely fizzled out. A cyborg completely put an end to her like <laughs> you know what i'm saying there's no way she could ever come back from a beating like that and so i going into the gdr fight i thought lad was severely overhyped and i honestly think she just falls right in line with some of the rest of those girls like you know yana mid-tier rank girls you know i don't think she's this phenom prospect at all so uh, i think that she does have a higher ceiling i think that kunitskaya is a little bit scared to get hit i think that kunitskaya do uh, doesn't like getting hit. she doesn't like to box but she does have a path to victory aspen lad likes is on the slower side and she does get hit a lot she can land a lot of kicks here she can maybe stall her against the fence so i do see a path to yana so i'm not gonna sit here and act like she's not live but I, I, I'm going to guess that Aspen is operating at a different frequency this time, just with the, with the weight, maybe not possibly being a factor. But we haven't seen the weigh-ins yet, so I could be. But from the looks of it, my eye test, I think that she's really slim for this fight. And I think she'll outwork Kunitskaya for a, for a close decision win. Yeah, it's a tough one to call, man. Obviously, uh, they... They have some very common opponents, like you mentioned, Lena Landsberg, Tanya Evinger. You know, Yana actually went out there and finished Tanya Evinger in the first round in Invicta, and then they had a rematch, and uh, she got finished. But uh, so we're not going to get to see Finish, that. Uh, Evinger finished Aldana too. Man. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to get to see that trilogy, unfortunately. But uh, look, as far as this matchup is concerned, I do think Yana is probably the more well-rounded fighter here. She definitely gravitates more towards the kickboxing, at least earlier on in her career. But lately, you know, she's been adding that uh, women's MMA head and arm throw. You know, she gets on top of these girls. But the thing here is that with Aspen Ladd, although the, the stand-up side of things might be more on the somewhat, honestly, mediocre side of things, when she gets on top of these girls, not only do they not get back up, Shaq, but they usually get pounded out. And I have seen fights where Yana Kunitskaya has gotten dominated on the mat very recently, too. So that being said, man, I... Uh, Somewhere along the way, look, it might be close in the stand-up exchanges, but somewhere along the way, Aspen Ladd will get on top of Yana Kunitskaya, and when she does, she's going to pound her out. So I'm going Aspen Ladd via ground-and-pound TKO. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Stefan the Skyscraper Struve. He's 29-11, and 11, and Big Ben Rothwell is 36-12. and 12. Currently, they got Ben Rothwell minus 140. The comeback on Stefan Struve is plus 120. Well, Shaq, you got uh, the seven foot tall Stefan Struve taking on Big Ben Rothwell. Two staples of the heavyweight division. I mean, we've been watching these guys probably over a decade now. It's surprising they never met inside the octagon. Now they finally do. Who do you think gets it done? I mean, I've been watching Big Ben since, uh, since the IFL days, man, on Fox Sports. Uh on FSN. So. Remember his first fight with Arlovsky? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> man, uh, Big Ben, look, 
you know, we know that he tested positive uh, for the same thing that he tested positive uh, three, four years back. You know, so we look, he got caught red handed and we know why he was on that streak when he was pulling off these wins where we were like, we were like how the fuck did he do that? <laughs> so, uh, look, I think that Ben Roethlisberger, but Ben Rothwell is uh, somewhat, I don't want, I mean, look, he is somewhat of a fraud, still, still a legend, but I think basically what I'm getting at is he had a lot of help when he was on that street. He had some of the best doctors he in had, Wisconsin. Look, the dude was injecting himself with some of the finest steroids you can buy in was he from Wisconsin, you yeah. know, so <laughs> I hear he's with Duke Rufus for this fight. And what, and what I think, you know, what I, I'm going to get to here in a second is last fight with Arlovsky in which he looked like dog shit, you know, I think was uh, stemming from the fight with Blagoy because, look, he was coming off the suspension and he fights Blagoy Ivanov, this up-and-coming heavyweight. And I'm not going to – look, after I rewatched it, I kind of did score it for uh, for Rothwell. But, uh, you know, it was kind of like one of those situations where, like, you know, that I feel like he put his everything into that fight. And for him to lose a, a close decision, that it kind of, I mean, he fell to his knees. He, he turned around. I mean, I feel like it was a knife. Kind of like when Stamen fought uh, Brian Caraway, you know, and then he saw what he looked like when he fought Munoz. I feel like he put everything into that fight and, you know, he feels like he got robbed. And that's, he turned that, he triggered, uh, he turns that around into the Arlovsky fight in which, I mean, and I actually picked Arlovsky in that fight, and it seems like Arlovsky had his way with him, and Ben looked the worst he ever has. Now he's back with Duke Rufus, his coach from a long time ago. This could be a last resort, but now on the other hand, I'm not sitting here saying Stefan Struve's in in much better condition, Um, but Struve did at least win his last fight. Like, you know, uh, he did beat, after getting 10-8'd in the first round, uh, De Lima pulled a stunt that he he pulls a lot, which is uh, quitting for some reason, and Struve was able to to capitalize. Um, the thing with Struve is, you know, if you're betting on him, you know, at times he can have a style that frustrates you. He some he doesn't pull the trigger. You he wants Struve user jab, you user straights. You get up, Struve, or he'll lay on his back and, and and get pounded, and it's very frustrating. But I've never really seen Rothwell use a game plan for you know single and double legs or cage work to get it to the fence. It's usually he gets his submissions off guys like Mitrione and Barnett, you know, shooting in on him. I don't think Struve's gonna do that. So I think if if he uh, wants to win this fight, he's going to have to utilize a style that he's not usually used to. I will say Rothwell does get does put on good pressure on his opponents, but his striking defense is so bad that he's kind of just nullifying the work that he did with the pressure by getting hit with a counter shot. Now, I don't know if Strew's going to pull the trigger, you know, like a Blagoy Ivanov did or, or an Alaski did that night, but I think Struve is in slightly better condition, even though he's coming out of retirement. I, but I think I, I, I never took that retirement too seriously. You know, I think that Struve just needed a break, man. He's, is he even 30 yet? Yeah, he's 30. Okay, he's got but early 30s. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's been fighting in the UFC <laughs> since he was like 20. He's been fighting for so long, man, like that the kid just needed to take a break uh to relax a bit now that he's got his shit taken care of. I know he needs more money. So uh, I think that Struve comes out here, and I think that this is probably going to be a lackluster fight. But I think that somewhere along the line, Rothwell's sloppiness is going to be a big factor, and I think he's going to make a fatal mistake, whether that be uh, a submission on the mat or a knee 
or just lose a decision. I think that Strew's going to land the, the more effective shots on the outside. And like I said, I don't think Rothwell's the type of guy to come in here and and use, you know, single and double legs to get Strew down and lay on him, you know. That's just not really his style. He's either going to try to knock him out or or get Strew to shoot in on him and use that go-go choke, which I don't see happening. So I'm going to go with Strew for the upset. Off for retirement, I think he's going to come out here and finish Big Ben. <laughs> you know, it's one of these fights where... Uh... I have no idea what the fuck's going to happen, so that automatically makes it a dog or pass situation, but when you imagine or envision betting on a guy like Stefan Struve, he's got all the physical advantages, you know, he's seven feet tall, he's ten years younger, he's got all these things going for him, then he steps in there and you're like, Stefan, yeah, please throw, really Struve, come on, man. <laughs> he ain't really ten years younger. So, <laughs> you gotta be careful if you're bent on him, don't go big, but at the same time, laying chalk on Ben Rothwell is a recipe for disaster, especially at this point in his career, so... Man, it's a, it's a tough one to call, you know, and when you talk about does Ben really go for takedowns, not really, but he attempted one on Arlovsky, Arlovsky was able to sprawl, Struve goes to his back easily, will Struve sprawl in that situation, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's hard to know, and it's hard to know if Ben will even attempt a takedown against uh, Stefan Struve, but one performance that I like to, you know, kind of refer back to, even though this was goddamn... Back when Ronda Rousey was champion, this was so long ago that I don't even know if Stefan Struve is capable of this anymore. But last time Stefan Struve fought a washed-up legend named Minotaro Noguera, who, by the way, true legend of the sport. But, you know, that was like his last or second-to-last fight, something like that. So Stefan went out there, won a decision. He was actually using his jab. He was being the longer man like we wanted him to be for so long. We're like, Stefan, you're seven feet tall, bro. Use that jab. Use those long man strikes. And uh, he did it in that fight. I'm hoping Ben Rothwell is slow enough to where Stefan Struve can do a similar thing here. So I'm going to go with Stefan Struve just because I think he's got more left in the tank. It won't surprise me either way, but I'm going with the underdog on this one. Co-main event in the evening in the strawweight division. We got Marina Rodriguez. She's 12-0, and Cynthia Calvillo is 8-1. Currently, they got Marina Rodriguez, minus 130. The comeback on Cynthia Calvillo is plus 110. Shaq, this one hell of a matchup. Uh, on paper, it's striker versus grappler. Marina being the Muay Thai fighter. Cynthia Calvillo, known for her jiu-jitsu. But lately, Cynthia's been striking with these girls. Uh, you think she goes back to her grappling roots here against Marina? Striking with you, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is a great fight. I'm, I, I like this matchup a lot better. You know, the original matchup was Calvillo versus Gadelia, which would have been another tough fight for for Calvillo. And I like this matchup a little bit more. Marina's on the on the newer to the UFC side. Not that much people know about her. And man, they're they're they're. This girl has been another tough spot, man. A co-main event spot. She started off at Random Marcos, ranked fighter in her debut. You know, the somewhat legend Aguilar for the second one. Molly Wap, Tisha Torres in her last fight. And now she's getting another top 10 girl in Calvillo. I think Cynthia Calvillo is a, a good fighter. I think that her jiu-jitsu is on point. Her boxing is, is getting better. But I still see Marina being the, 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 the fighter. That's more vicious, uh, more aggressive, better striking. I think Calvillo has got okay boxing, but uh, when you really look at you know her last few fights, okay, we're talking about Joanne, the Joanne Calderwood fight in Scotland. I mean, look, she won the first round, but the last two rounds were just a tip and run fest. It was a sparring match. You know, it was. I don't want to say it could have went either way because I did think uh, Cynthia deserved to win, but uh, you know, it was just one of those just eek back and forth type of fights inside low kick couple punches you know move around uh take advantage of a, a girl that missed way and who you know who 
This, in my opinion, isn't on the same talent level as the Marina Rodriguez, her fight with Carla Esparza. We saw that she dominated that first round, but what happened in the second round, Carla Carla was actually getting the better of the boxing exchanges. And just out working her, Cynthia kind of tired out. And since then, she she uh, had that USADA suspension for weed, <laughs> which uh, is kind of sad. But uh, then she uh, fights Pollyanna Botello, who was just simply overhyped, in my opinion. Botello had one fight where she... Kicked a, a jab to the gut and, and Kondo who's out here getting fucking mollywopped by everybody. Like, like who hasn't mollywopped Siri Kondo? So, uh, I think Batella was super overhyped going into that fight. And, you know, Cynthia did her thing. Uh, she got a submission win. But then she had that... Uh, that step back up in competition against Courtney Casey. And when I say step up, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't mean that in necessarily the best way, just cause she does have the number next to her name, but it was more of a similar thing. You know, the first round, uh, Cynthia definitely won, but after that, uh, the next two rounds, I mean, I don't want to say like, I don't want to say Courtney Casey won, but it, it was very close. Um, it could, it was in split range. I mean, if, if they would have had it as a split decision, I would have not been shocked. I mean, it was a close fight. Um, I think that Cynthia Calvillo showed in the last fight that her calves are a little bit vulnerable. Now, she does a good job of, of catching some of them, but I think against Marina Rodriguez, the level of Muay Thai is just on a completely different level. The condition that she's in, Courtney Casey is in a split decision every fight against like Angela Hill and like a fight I thought she lost. And I think Calvillo is just right in line with those girls that were when you fight her, it could be close, and I don't think that she's as good as she thinks she is, to be honest with you. I think that Marina Rodriguez is going to come out here, move forward, and really make Cynthia Calvillo fight tooth and nail. You know, I think when they get in that clinch, she's going to have a, another thing coming for her. I mean, Marina spazzes out with those elbows. She's throwing three, four, the low kicks, the boxing, and I think that she's going to be even more comfortable this time. You know, her last fight was only her third fight in the UFC, and she's out here 30-26-ing. I know Tisha Torres is on a three-fight losing streak, but look at who it was against, Andrade, Wiley Zhang. And Yoana Andrzejczyk, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think that Marina Rodriguez's talent level is can possibly be on that level. Now, I'm not saying she's a future world champion, but I think that just with their experience level in Muay Thai, the fact that she carries herself the way she does, you know, Cynthia likes to, likes to talk a lot, you know, she... For example, she's talking about Paige Van Zandt this weekend. Hey, you know, talk about Paige. But I think this girl, Marina Rodriguez, might be something special. I think that she's going to be too ferocious. I think there's going to be a big power edge. And I think that you're going to see, for one, Cynthia back up and not want to move back forward. I think her calf is going to be severely compromised. And I think Marina's going to have uh, another good showing on top of the one against uh, Tisha Torres. So I like Marina here. I know Cynthia Calvillo's been around a lot longer, but I, I think it, she's sub or bust in this fight. I don't think that she's going to be able to get takedowns for three rounds, and I don't see her winning the stand-up in this fight at all. And I think that for her to win this fight, she's going to have to get her down one time and submit her. And like I said, if you're trying to compare Marina to, to Pollyanna Botello, look at what Marina's done going into her cut. Huh? Tell you fights with her chin in yeah, there. Yeah, look at what Marina's done in her UFC career. You know, she uh, even my I don't think she got ten eighted in that first round against Randa Marcos, but to a lot of chicks in that in that spot would have just you know lost that fight and you know come back better. But she man, she put her foot uh foot in that ground and she was like, I'm gonna win these next two rounds. Look, if that if the first round wasn't ten eight, she would have won a decision. So I'm very high on uh, Rodriguez and I think she gets the win.
Strawweight is by far my favorite women's division because when you talk about a lot of the other divisions that the ladies are in, it's really grappling dominated. It's head and arm throw to arm bar type stuff. But when you talk about strawweight, a high-level striking skill set goes a long way. You look at someone like Joanna Janjacek. You look at my number one Chinese prospect, Yan Zonan, who, by the way, do you know who she's fighting? Oh, man. Uh, my eyes lit, my eyes lit <laughs> up when I saw you, Carolina. <laughs> but... Uh, now you got Marina Rodriguez, and I think she's prepped uh, and primed to not just win this fight, Shaq, but to go straight to the top, man, because she brings something serious to the table. And that striking skill set, you know, it's not just, uh, oh, she can pop a jab and look cute and land a couple leg kicks. No, we're talking about the heel, the knee, the elbow, uh, the whole bit, the flying knees. And, and off her back, you know, let's uh, let's talk about the level of competition she's been fighting. She goes from the regional scene to all of a sudden, hey, here's Randa Marcos, who's one of the most experienced fighters. Beat Esparza, beat, you know... It's Random Marcos, one of the most experienced fighters in the whole division. Why don't you fight her in your debut? And uh, she goes out there, first round, gets taken down. And it seems like, you know what, other people such as Angela Hill, when she got down on the mat in that first round, the fight was over shortly after. When Carla Esparza got taken down by uh, Random Marcos, she didn't get back up. But Marina Rodriguez, in her debut had uh, the whereabouts and had the wits to get back up, and then she put on a, a serious pace in the stand-up department against Randa Marcos. In my opinion, she went out there and won that fight. Judges called it a draw that night. Uh, we know uh, those judges, uh, they didn't like Marina from back in the Muay Thai days. You, you remember that Tyler Santos Muay yeah, Thai fight, right? So Yeah, exactly. So they don't like Marina in that part of Brazil, but she's still made to draw. In my opinion, she won that fight. Next one, she goes out there against uh, Jessica Aguilar, and I know you guys have heard how vocal Shaq and I have been about Jessica Aguilar in the past. And, yeah, it's one thing to go out there and, you know, eke a decision or, you know, even even win a nice 30-27. But, but how about, how about you know, in my opinion, it was a cut stoppage. In my opinion, it was a standing TKO. Don't you remember uh, what the little, the, the little ref error in that fight? <laughs> uh, that should have been a TKO as well. And then uh, the next one, you know what? Now you're not fighting washed up uh, Jessica Aguilar. Let's let's uh, jump you to perennial top ten. Tisha Torres goes out there and thirty twenty seven, sir, like it's no one's business. So, and there was a thirty twenty six in there as well, my friends. So, I think Marina Rodriguez is the real deal. I think she's improving every single fight, and I don't think that she's as one dimensional as people make it seem. It's just that that one dimension you're referring to. She's so dominant in that you can kind of overlook the other parts of her game. But it's not like she wasn't out here on the regional scene winning fights via triangle because she was and she was able to get back up from bottom against a very good uh, grappler in random marco so i do have proof that she's no uh you know fish uh out of water on the mat and when you talk about cynthia calvillo she's very very talented on the mat obviously you remember that fight against bobby cooper goes from the dars choke attempt right to a right to a back take rear naked choke uh, very very impressive stuff but as she stepped up in competition the takedowns aren't as uh, readily there. They aren't as readily available as they once were, Shaq. And now it's becoming these very close striking matches. And she's had a couple of them. The one with Joanne Calderwood. The one with Courtney Casey. And I feel like that level of striking is grounds to, uh, to, to put it lightly, to get eaten alive in the stand-up department against Marina Rodriguez. So while people are thinking that one takedown the fight will be shortly after if Cynthia gets Marina down... I simply don't view it that way. I think it's going to be a lot tougher for Cynthia to take down Marina than people think because if you watch the career progression of Marina Rodriguez, first fight with Random Marcos, even though she was able to get back up from the takedowns, there wasn't much resistance or as much as, as I would have liked. 
Then the next fight with Jessica Aguilar. Now we're seeing her start to swim for underhooks. Now we're starting to see her make uh, make uh, her opponent pay with knees, with elbows. Then the next fight against uh, Tisha Torres. Now she's reversing position. Now she's getting takedowns of her own. Now she's attacking with darts chokes. Now it's like, hey, if you want to take Marina Rodriguez down, you're going to have to pay for it. She's going to have something waiting for you. So I think that if we see an even further step in the evolution of Marina Rodriguez, this could be a very dominant fight for her. So while people are saying this is 50-50, depending if it stays standing or hits the mat, I kind of disagree. I think it's going to take more than one takedown for Cynthia Calvillo to go out there and defeat someone of Marina Rodriguez caliber. So I am hyped on the undefeated prospect, and I do think she keeps uh, her undefeated record intact here. I'm going Marina Rodriguez to win via third-round TKO. Main event of the evening in the heavyweight division. We got Alistair the Reem Overeem. He's 45 and 17. And Jarzinho Rosenstrike is 9 and 0. Currently, they got Alistair Overeem minus 120. The comeback on Jarzinho Rosenstrike is plus 100. Well, Shaq, Overeem's had over 60 fights. This is Rosenstrike's 10th fight. But that being said, when I talk about over 16 fights, or excuse me, when I talk about over 60 fights, he's also been knocked out over 12 times. Uh, but man, the experience level, the experience difference is huge. You think that just the fact that Overeem's been uh, fighting since basically as long as some of our friends have been born is enough to come out here and uh, beat a guy like Jerzino? Or is that knockout power of Rosenstrike too much to come out here and hand uh, Overeem his 17th knockout loss? Man, you got two decorated kickboxers. You know Overeem won K1 back in the day, but... Man, uh, if you go to YouTube and, and go look at Rosendrake's uh, kickboxing highlights, man, he, he's got an extensive history for knocking people out unconscious. Uh, you know, what he's doing right now, man, he kind of did the same thing in uh, kickboxing. I think he was like 76 and 6 with like, you know, 50-something knockouts. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, the dude's a, a legit KO artist. And the reason why I feel like he has that advantage is speed. You know, he's a lighter. He only weighs in at about like maybe 240. And it seems like, man... If you come in the pocket against him, even for a little bit, you make a slight mistake that uh, his counter ability is just on a different level than most of these guys fighting in MMA now. Uh, so far, he's only gone up against Arlovsky, Alan Crowder, and Junior Albini, but all those guys were left stiff on the canvas in devastating fashion. I mean, <laughs> all three of them. Now, in the Junior Albini fight, we saw that he did get taken down. And Junior Albini, you know, isn't known for his grappling, and he was able to get back up and able to get the knockout. Alan Crowder <laughs> got knocked out with a jab, and Arlovsky got knocked out in, what, 29 seconds it was? So... Man, I think that Alistair over uh, Alistair Overeem is one of those cases where he's got the way more experience. He's fought the way better competition. Also knocked out Arlovsky unconscious. Um, would easily beat those other two and guys. And would easily and would dominate the other two guys. But now this is a fight where I'm really intrigued because I honestly thought Alistair would be the the bigger uh, bigger favorite just by perception, just because you know the experience, the guys he's fought. And the fact that this guy's only got three fights and for a combined uh, of maybe two, barely over two rounds, <laughs> like the fact that it's almost a pick em, it's kind of making me think uh, maybe there's something to this Jarzino guy that we don't know about, man. Maybe his kickboxing is that good. And there's a chance that all he might need to do is touch Reem's chin one time, and that, and that could be it. I mean, his power or his precision just might be that good. Now, if Overeem gets on top of him, 
I'm not 100% sure he's going to, if Jarzino's going to get back up. The thing is, Overeem's going to have to get close to him to, to take him down. And man, I just got a feeling that if Jarzino touches his face, that it, that it might be it, and not saying that Overeem can't knock uh, Jarzino out. We don't really know that that much about him in comparison to Overeem, but I feel like Overeem's kind of got a little bit more to uh, more to lose in this spot, man. He's fighting a guy that just you know came uh, to fruition, uh, fruition recently. Uh, you know, this is short notice. He was supposed to fight Wall Harris. Shout out to Wall Harris. We we wish him uh, we wish him the best on what uh, shout out Wall. You know, he's what he's going through right now. Um, I feel like this, I don't want to say is a, a more dangerous matchup, but man, I'm going to go at Rosenstrike, man. I know Overeem's overall better, I, 100%. Definitely better overall, but just because he's overall better, I mean, he's been overall better than a lot of guys. Wasn't he overall better than Bigfoot <laughs> Silva, Ben Rothwell, and Travis Brown? Like, so I, I get, you know, trying to hold on to that, and I... But I think that, that this guy Rosenstrike might be the real deal, man. I mean, it's I know Orlovsky's older, but look at but when you look at Orlovsky's prior fights when he fought big gorillas like Augusto Sakai, who I consider a top seven or eight heavyweight, well, that was a struggle for uh, Sakai, and I, and and I said the reason why is because Rosenstrike's got that speed, so I think uh, he's got a big speed advantage over Overeem. Overeem, he still plays with his hands down. He still likes to do some of these questionable things sometimes where you're like, yo, this guy, and I, and I still to this day think he pulled a massive stunt against Stipe Miocic, and, and that's not the, you know, the only time he's pulled a stunt. He's pulled stunts. Bigfoot so <laughs> I mean, I love him. He's one of my favorite fighters of all time. I mean, when I first got into the sport, Reem was one of my, he still is one of my favorite fighters, but uh, man, I think Rosenstrike's going to come out here and knock him out in the first round, man. I think that he's going to come out here and pressure Reem. That's how you get him to make those mistakes in the pocket. Pressure him, and I think that Reem's going to throw and get countered and be asleep and, and it's probably going to be over before you know yeah I mean you make such great uh, points when you talk about this fight man because tons of guys have been more excuse me tons of guys have been less well rounded or less experienced or you know too one dimensional for Overeem or this or that you know let me give you a couple examples obviously we can give the lower tier examples like the Ben Rothwells the Travis Browns the Bigfoot Silvas who Overeem is so much better than all those guys. Still got knocked out by all three of them. But then there's guys like Francis Ngannou, who you know we know is unbelievable. Can touch you one time, you go to sleep. But you know everyone was saying that uh, you know not only is Overeem the decorated striker, but Overeem's got the ground game. Overeem's got this. Overeem's got that. It, it you know and it didn't really matter. You know what I mean? And and Francis at the time was only coming off a knockout win over uh, Andre Arlovsky. So another thing I wanted to say was I know. Uh... Reem's been KO'd 13 times, uh, three times in kickboxing for a total of 16. Um, but man, uh, for the most part, if you drop Reem once or wobble him, like he ain't coming back, bro. Like he's kind of a, I don't want to say a quitter when things, but, he's, but like he, he shuts down if you're rocking. The only time I can say that he didn't uh, get finished after getting rocked was the, the last for Doom fight. Um, but uh, man, for the most part, if you hurt him, wobble him, He's, he's done. Yeah, and uh, with this fight, obviously, if you're betting on Reem, you want him to go out here. And, yeah, we know he's got the kickboxing credentials, but what you really want, you want him to out. get on top of Jarzino, <laughs> pound him out, don't let him back up, potentially even try to submit him. And because there has been a little bit of weakness in Jarzino's ground game, but I got to give him a lot of credit, man, because the times that I've seen him taken down, not just the Junior Albini fight, even a, a fight against this kid, Kovalev, I, I believe it might have been in Ryzen or one of these other uh, 
promotions, but bottom line, I saw him on the mat in both those fights, and yeah, okay, he's not going to be throwing up triangles off his back. He's not going to, you know, be going for arm bars. But what he also won't do is he won't give you an arm bar. He won't give you a triangle. He won't. He's he's not out here, you know, panicking and you know leaving all kinds of openings. He chills, 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 and when when it's time to explode back up, he explodes back up. So. I like the kid's mindset. I like his demeanor. I like his confidence. I like the fact that he's very poised and calm inside there. The mental side of things is on point with Jerzinho, and I think that's another area where he trumps over him. I don't just think it's the durability, Shaq. I think it's also the mindset because, like you already alluded to, when when everything's going perfect for Overeem, holy shit, it's some of the most beautiful things you've ever seen a watch. I mean, the knees, the liver kicks, the head movement, the punches. Even he's had ground clinics before too. I know I know you remember when he put that three-round clinic on Frank Mir and it was all him on top of the jiu-jitsu black belt or pounding him JD, out. Or JDS unconscious in Orlando. He got JDS trading kicks with him and then he <laughs> starched him with a left hook. Like I, We all remember these times, but we also remember the times against lesser opponents where he was uh, snoring on the canvas. So all I'm saying is that even though Jairzinho doesn't have anywhere near the experience, you cannot uh, discount what we have seen from him. And what we have seen from him so far has been very impressive. And it's almost a leap of faith picking this fight because we, we don't know with the experience level, with the ground game and all these things. But, man, I just think that right now this kid Jairzinho brings something to the table. I think he's going to come out here, left hook, maybe the overhand, maybe even a high kick, a knee, an elbow, something go out there, knock Alistair Overeem out. So I think we're going to have a new top 10 guy in the heavyweight division. I think his name's Jarzinho Rosenstrike. And now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, it's going down this Saturday. The heavyweights in the octagon. How's it going? Hey, not bad. I uh, had a nice little break, uh, but I'm ready for some fights now. Hopefully we can win some money headed into this pay-per-view. I mean, that's the plan, and it gets started with this main event between Alistair Overeem and Jerzinho Rosenstrike. We all know about the experience of Overeem, but we also know this kid, Jerzinho, has been putting down every single guy he faces. You think he can uh, win this big step up in competition? Yeah, I definitely think he can. Um, if he touches Overeem, it could be over. It's just if he can, if he can knock him out before he's taken down, I think that's how it's going to have to go because I don't see Overeem wanting to strike with this guy. I mean, maybe 10 years ago, he, he would have killed this guy on the feet, but his chin's gone. Now he's got a whole new game plan going in there. He's going to try and get takedowns and look for that ground-and-pound stoppage. Um, so it's just whoever can get their game off. But what I like is that this is a mid-range fight on DraftKings. we got 8,300 over him, 7,900 for Rosenstruck. So whoever wins, I'm thinking it's going to be 90 or 100-plus. So I think you have to be all in on this fight for gpps because whoever wins it's probably going to be i think first round finish and at those prices it's just going to be on the nut lineup so it's going to be in every single one of my lineups um i do like rosenstruck just because he's he's cheaper um and he could end the fight in 10 seconds like we've seen like in his last two fights so i do like him a little bit but i'm not confident enough to go all in on him where i'll probably be somewhat close to 50-50 to on this fight, maybe 60-40 Rosenstruck, but it's just a fight that we have to target in every single GPP lineup, I think. Now, I'd be, I'd be willing to take a guess that you're not stacking this fight on your lineup because one guy's probably going to win in pretty dominant fashion, right? No, I'm, I'm totally fine with stacking this fight in cash. All I want is 100-plus, and I think we're locked in with that here. Um, what I want is I want whoever I'm playing – to take a chance in their cash lineup and just put one of these guys in there 
because that's that's the risk. With me taking both of them, I already got the winner. I already got 100 plus. Um, I just got to hit my other spots. So that's why stacking the cash works. It's not because you're looking to get 160 total points. You're just looking to get 100 plus uh, and, and the win that you're locking in when other people will make the mistake of choosing just the loser. That's what I like. I just I like to play the bookie, you know, just let everybody else make the mistake. So in the co-main event, you got Marina Rodriguez taking on Cynthia Calvillo. Everyone's calling it a striker versus grappler, but I've seen Cynthia go out there and strike her last few fights. Uh, which way are you leaning? Um, I am right now. I'm on Calvillo just because she is going to be the one looking to grapple um, at 7,800. I think it's going to be a lot easier for her to pay off that price tag um, with her going out there looking for takedowns. I think I'd be pretty surprised if she won this fight and didn't get 10x of that salary. But with Rodriguez, if she wins, it's just going to be all significant strikes. She's not going out there looking for any any takedowns, and I doubt she gets a knockdown. So she's going to need to put up enough significant strikes to get more than 84 points, and I'm not confident she can do that. So I would just rather have Calvillo here and hope that she does work her grappling. Uh, not a confident pick, but it's just a pick that if she wins, I'm confident she she can score well. Now, in the heavyweight featured bout, you got two vets of the sport, man. Ben Rothwell taking on Stefan Struve. <laughs> We could have seen this fight 10 years ago, five years ago. We're seeing it this weekend. I mean, is this one you're staying away from altogether, or do you think there is a chance uh, for a big finish? Um, I, I think staying away from it's a, a fine move, but I could see Rothwell getting a finish, and if he gets a first-round finish at 8,600, he could definitely be on that 25K lineup. So my only interest, I would say, lays in Rothwell, but it's not a guy I would ever go all in on. I could see him winning with 50 points, which wouldn't help us at all either. But I think if Struve wins, it's probably a decision. And I don't even know that he would get 10x the $7,600 price tag. So I might I might even full fade Struve here and just go with a couple Rothwell lineups um, and hope that that power can still come through at age 38 or whatever he is now. So in the Bantamweight division, Aspen Ladd is taking on Yana Kunitskaya. And both these ladies have been making a lot of improvements. Uh, which one do you think takes the next step uh, towards a potential title shot? I am going to go with Ladd here. I just think she's better everywhere. Um, I, I also I like the scoring that she's been putting up on DraftKings. When she's been winning, it's just 98, 118, 94. Um, and now at 8,700, I think she's got all the advantages here. I'm just worried about like inactive times maybe against the cage or – if Yana can get some takedowns herself and take away from the points that Ladd would be scoring there. I just think uh, Ladd's good for a win here, and I like her more so for cash games. I'm not confident she can get you know 90-plus, but I, I do feel good about her getting the win here, um, and I'm not too interested in Yana just because I don't see I don't see how she, she scores well against Ladd. She's not going to knock her out in 10 seconds here in this fight, and I don't see her racking up multiple takedowns. I just think Ladd's the better fighter, and she's the one I would rather roster. And last but not least, you got Song Dong taking on Cody Stamen. Uh, man, it's a hell of a matchup in the Bantamweight division. You going with the devastating knockout power of Song Dong, or are you leaning with the solid and seasoned Cody Stamen? Yeah, this is my favorite fight on the card. Um, so I'm probably going to end up being close to 100% on it uh, as a whole. But I think I like Yadong here. Just I'm, I'm super high on both these guys, but I'm higher on Yadong. I think this is a decent matchup for him. I don't see how Stamen beats Yudong on the feet here, but 
Yudong's wrestling looks good enough to be able to keep this standing. Um, but the reason I like Stamen is because he is a good wrestler. He can go out there and get, you know, eight takedowns in this fight. And at 7,300, he could definitely be on the winning lineup in a decision win. So I, I like Stamen. I just don't think he gets the win. So that makes me like Yudong more. And he could be the first one to knock out Stamen. Um, so he's going to be the one I roster more of. But I will have shares on both sides of this fight. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this Saturday in Washington, D.C. They can follow you at Big Marley 3. Your bets and your write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. Yes, sir. I'm working on all that right now. Hopefully, I'll have it to you by tomorrow. It'll be ready for all the listeners to go and purchase. But, yeah, let's clean up this weekend. Have a nice bankroll headed into the pay-per-view next weekend. Well, Shaq, before we talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, just got to give another shout-out to our sponsor, Flav CBD, the official THC and CBD sponsor of Half the Battle. Make sure you guys go to FlavCBD.com, use that promo code BATTLE to save 10% off any purchase. And Shaq, let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC on ESPN7? My fight to watch is going to be Song Yudong versus Cody Stamen. This is a big, big opportunity for both guys to get a big win because, look, if Song Yudong knocks Cody Stamen out, I mean, that's a big uh, feather in his camp if he puts Stamen away. And if Stamen can beat him, he just took out one of the most high bantamweight prospects in a long time. So that's uh, my fight to watch. Definitely one of the fights to watch. My fight to watch is the co-main event between Marina Rodriguez and Cynthia Calvillo. On paper, it's striker versus grappler, but what I think is it's two emerging contenders in the strawweight division, and the winner is going to not only take that step up towards the top 10, but potentially be one or two fights away from a title shot. So for that reason, and also the skill sets they bring to the table, both very exciting young ladies, both very aggressive, both like to finish the fight. Marina Rodriguez versus Cynthia Calvillo is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC DC? My fighter to watch is going to be Jarzino Rosenstrike. Look, he's one of these new breed heavyweights, and if he goes out there and starches over him in the first round, man, I'll be shocked if he's fighting a, a Volkov or an Aganu in a few months. Uh, we know that heavyweight, you can be fast-tracked, and he's definitely on that fast track. Like you said, the guy's kind of, he doesn't even seem to be worried about this over him fight. Like, he already thinks it's a, a KO victory for him, guaranteed, and I'm interested to see how he goes out there and do it, man. Keep your eyes out for it. Definitely. And my fighter watch is Matty Ice, Matt Sales. Look, this is a kid that I've been very high on since Contender Series. Dropped that UFC debut, but put up a very valiant effort. Next fight goes out there, shows off his complete skill set. Still very young in his career, has a lot of potential. And I think if Matt Sales can come out here and defeat the very, very tough Bryce Mitchell, that it could be bright skies for him from here on out. He could be looking at a top 20 guy next. And Regardless, just a very entertaining guy to watch and is going to become a fan favorite. So for that reason, Matt Sales is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday in Washington, D.C., the state capital. Alistair Overeem versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike. The fans can follow you on Twitter at MMAGenius05. They can follow you on Instagram at ShaqBFP. They can follow me on Twitter at BestFightPicks. Our official Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. Make sure y'all subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We want to give a special shout out to all our fans for supporting us. Thank you guys so much. You can get our plays at bestfightpicks.com. We will be back next week for uh, for the big fight. Colby vs. Uzman, Max Holloway vs. Volkanovski, Amanda Nunes vs. GDR. So until the next time, let's cash these bets. <laughs>